Let me give you a little heads up. Uh, we're going to have in a minute the baptism. Just a couple minutes from now, we'll have the baptism of uh, the uh, Stewart twins who are being presented by their parents today. Um, after the sermon, uh, I'm going to pray a brief sermon prayer to wrap up the sermon, sort of asking the Lord to help us apply it. Um, immediately after that prayer, if, if moms, dads, if you would like to uh, go across the hall to bring your little ones across to the church to be here for the baptism, uh, we would welcome it. We would love to have all the children who would like to, including the little ones who would like to, to come forward so they can have a front row seat to uh, see the baptism and to think together about what baptism means and what it's all about. So uh, after the sermon, during the prayer even, I don't mind if you're moving around during the prayer, if you'd like to move while our the eyes are closed and we're praying, moms, feel free to go across to the uh, nursery and bring your little ones over here and bring them back over to the church. We'd, we'd love to have them with us. Um, I, I mentioned a minute ago the... Uh, the uh, uh, talent show that Justin just thanked God for the wonderful evening. It really was a wonderful evening. And one of the things I love about it was it was so real. <laughs> Kids have a way of being real. Uh, they, they don't go in so much for play acting and stuff like that. They're really real. And they respect that and appreciate that and value that. And, and we respect and appreciate and value that about them. They're a real gift to our church. So young people, thank you for what you bring to our fellowship. We're grateful for it. And this morning, we're going to think a little bit about being real in a, in a particular way. We're going to think together about a very real question. We're not afraid of questions. Young people are often drawn to questions. As we get older, we get afraid of the questions sometimes. But Paul won't allow us to duck some questions. So this morning, we're actually going to spend some time thinking about some questions that are really important for us as Christians to think about. So have that in your mind as, as you stand, please. And look to the Bible. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read this morning verses 12 through 19 and reflect on it. It's on page 961 in the Pew Bible. It's also in the bulletin. Uh, look it up online, whatever you want to do to find the passage. But I would be grateful if you'd have it open in front of you because I want you to know I'm not making this up. This isn't my agenda. Uh, this is actually God's agenda for us in his word. So have have this in your heart and mind as we, as we uh, gather around God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. Paul writes, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, please send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, and 
pry open our cold, resistant hearts. Help us to be real with you, to engage your word, to think, Father, as Paul here challenges us. Please help us. Please direct us. Please help us to learn exactly what you want to learn, what you want us to learn. We pray, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, uh, I really would like for us to be real this morning. Paul was very real. Uh, Paul was really, really, really real. He dealt with real life, and he, he deals honestly with all kinds of things. Um, one of the things he dealt with a great deal was the resurrection of Jesus. Um, you know, actually, if you read through what Paul has to write and what he has preached, as it's recorded in the Bible, in the book of Acts, and in some of his letters, we'll certainly see that again and again Paul refers to the, the cross. He refers again and again to the uh, cross of Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians begins with Paul saying he's only going to preach the cross of Christ. He's going to preach the crucified Christ. Uh, he had a very, very high view of the place of the cross in the Christian life. But actually, if you, if you look at the number of references to the cross and compare it to the number of references to the resurrection, Paul actually talked about the resurrection a lot, arguably slightly more than the crucifixion. Uh, not because he saw the, the resurrection as more important, but because he saw the significance of the crucifixion ultimately in the terms of the resurrection. For Paul, you, you can't really separate the cross from the empty tomb. You can't really separate the crucifixion of Christ from the resurrection of Christ. Uh, in fact, sometimes theologians today refer to this as the Christ event. It's like his birth, his death, his resurrection, ultimately his ascension. All of that is one event. It's all Christ. And so by focusing so insistently on the crucifixion, what Jesus, what Paul is actually saying about Jesus is that we can't understand the Christ event if we excise the crucifixion. Apparently there were those in uh, Corinth who didn't like to talk about the crucifixion. They didn't like to talk about the suffering of Christ, let alone the suffering of Christ's disciples. So Paul was insistent that in order to really understand Jesus, you have to include thinking about his crucifixion. But here in this section, here in chapter 15, Paul turns his attention very specifically to the other central part of the Christ event, and it was the resurrection of the crucified Christ. The fact that the crucified Christ had been raised from the dead was of in, incalculable significance. And we talked about that on Easter morning, what was some of the significance of the resurrection of the crucified one. Well, we're going to think a little bit more about that today. And we're going to think about it in some unusual terms for us as Christians. Uh, we're going to think about it in terms of what if it's not true? What if it didn't happen? Like I said, kids are comfortable with that kind of a question. We get a little uncomfortable sometimes, but kids are comfortable with that question. What if the crucifixion of Jesus was the end of the story? What if the resurrection did not happen? We're going to think about that this morning. In fact, I've titled the sermon, If There Is No Resurrection. And if you were paying close attention, you'll realize that is a quote from Paul in verse 12. 
Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? There is no resurrection. Let's think about that this morning. Let's be real about that this morning. Paul actually has a great deal to say about it, not only in this section, but it's, it actually permeates his writing about the resurrection. As he understands that the resurrection is of enormous importance. And if it doesn't, if it isn't true, if it didn't happen, then that matters a lot. And he's going to tell us a few ways it matters here in this section. I want to draw to your attention just two points, two specific applications, two specific things that has to do with no gospel. If there is no resurrection, there is no gospel, verses 13 to 16. And if there is no resurrection, uh, secondly, there is no hope. Verses 17 and 19. So just two points to think about this morning. No gospel and no hope. Let's think about what he has to say. No gospel. Verse 12. Christ, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. Now, the way he's putting this ties it in to the rest of what he's had to say. If you look back up at the page, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 11 this is how Paul describes the gospel. He says, I would, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached you. This is actually what Paul did, in fact, proclaim. He says, the gospel I preached you, which you received and in which you stand. Look down at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for us, for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was really dead, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then Paul goes on to talk about in the rest of this paragraph, all the witnesses to the resurrection. So in Paul's mind, this is of first importance. This is what he proclaimed. This is what he preached. This is what they had responded to. This is what they were standing in, this gospel. Um, let me get you to look at a couple of cross-references. Flip back a few pages over to Acts chapter 17. I love I loved to read Paul's letters uh, with uh, the book of Acts open beside me because uh, what we read about in Paul's letters, we often see discussed historically in a narrative form over in the book of Acts. Well, look at Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 18. Paul's in, in Athens. It says, well, this is on page 926. It says, this is Luke writing, a, a friend of Paul's. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, ask Will Grover about those. He can tell you all about those, those guys. The Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Why? Well, Luke tells us, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. See, these pagans were so confused and were so unfamiliar with the teaching that Paul was sharing. They thought, that Paul was actually talking about two different gods, one named Jesus and one named Resurrection or Anastasis, 
which is the Greek word for resurrection. That, that's where we, we get uh, our idea of being raised again. Anastasis means being raised again. Well, they thought Paul had two gods. Of course, they lived in a, in a polytheistic environment. They were very familiar with multiple gods. So they thought this babbler, as they described Paul, was talking about two different gods. He talked about the resurrection so much and it was so central to his understanding of Christ, they actually thought it was a different God. That's how central the resurrection was in Paul's preaching. Look a bit further down the page. Look across the page on 927 at verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So as Paul continued to preach and teach there in Athens, he talked about Christ, the crucified one, Christ, the resurrected one, and some of them mocked him about it, and some of them scratched their head and said, well, that's interesting. That's worth thinking about. Look at Acts chapter 18. Immediately after leaving Athens, where does Paul go? He goes to Corinth. It's the very next place Luke tells us about. He leaves Athens where they've been having these deep intellectual philosophical discussions ongoing with all these intellectuals debating the resurrection if it's foolishness or if it's true. He leaves there and he leaves this philosophical environment and he goes immediately to Corinth. And if Corinth, sorry, if Athens was the intellectual capital, if Athens was the Athens of Athens, uh, with the intellectual and philosophical things that philosophical places often focus on, if that was Athens, Corinth is the Hollywood of their culture. Corinth was the this deeply, deeply worldly pagan place, not pagan in the sense of the Epicureans and the Stoics, but pagans in the way we think of Hollywood today. <laughs> uh, not particularly intellectual, but deeply involved in a worldly way of thinking about everything. Immorality was rampant. In fact, in the ancient world, I'm told some scholars report this, that to be called a Corinthian was to be accused of gross immorality. They were, they were drunkards, they were immoral, it was a very scandalous place. And that's the place Paul goes to with all this focus on the resurrection. He goes from Rome to Corinth and that's the church Paul is writing to. The church he planted, the church he ministered to, the church he taught the gospel of the resurrection of the crucified Christ, that's the church he's writing to. Okay, flip back to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Just, just understand, that's, that's the context of Paul's ministry. That's the context of, of the church's life. That's where Paul is writing. He's writing a place that's morally very confused in a, culturally, in, a, in a culture that is philosophically and intellectually confused. And it's to them that Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, verse 13, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul's telling the Corinthian Christians, and we're not really told 
what was the angle that he's responding to? Why does he feel the need here in a letter to a Christian church to talk about the, fact, the possibility that the resurrection did not happen? There was no resurrection. Why would you need to talk to a church about that? Because there were apparently those in this grossly immoral city who denied the resurrection of Christ. That's why he's reminding them, chapter 15, verse 1. That's why he's proclaiming 15, verse 1. That's why here in, in, uh, in uh, chapter 15, verse 12, he's pausing to talk about this, this question that's been raised. What if Jesus was not truly raised, if there was not truly a resurrection? What were they believing? We're not specifically told, which I think is providential. We're not really being specifically told. It may have been a kind of an over-realized sense of the resurrection. Maybe they were thinking that everything about the resurrection was completely finished and it did not involve Jesus' being raised from the dead, but it was some sort of spiritual resurrection with, without connection to the body of Christ. They were, they were denying the physicality of the resurrection. A few years ago, uh, I was serving, Leslie and I were at a church in Vancouver, British Columbia, big, amazing church, um, the largest Anglican church at the time in Canada. Uh, Dr. J.I. Packer was a member of the church. I'll never forget him sitting back on the sixth row uh, as he listened to the service and participated. It was an amazing church. Well, the very first Easter after Leslie and I arrived in Vancouver, the bishop of the Anglican Diocese of New Westminster, which is what they call the diocese where Vancouver is, decided that it would be a good idea to come to the largest Anglican church in Canada on Easter morning, his first Easter as a bishop. He decided it would be a good idea to come and to deny the physicality of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, that's the kind of crazy thinking you sometimes bump into in institutions that have gotten too rich and too sure of themselves and they think it's a good idea to deny basic gospel truth so the bishop stood in the pulpit beautiful church packed congregation on easter morning and he said that to preach the physical resurrection of jesus was to merely talk about a resuscitated corpse I remember the way he said it. It was with this sneer. How ridiculous is that? How infantile? How backward? How completely stupid it is to think of a resuscitated corpse. Only dummies think that. Only people who, who haven't entered modern scientific ways of thinking can contemplate a, a resuscitated corpse. The next Sunday, uh, J.I. Packer, who's with the Lord now, stood in that same pulpit. He said, ladies and gentlemen, what you heard from our bishop last Sunday was not only untrue, but it was sinfully untrue. And in front of God and everybody else, Dr. Packer set the record straight. What did he do? He said, the Bible tells us 
that the crucified Christ was physically raised from the dead. The gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection appearances, they were physical appearances. Luke wrote the book of Acts, was a close associate of Paul's. Luke records that on the during the time of Jesus' resurrection appearances in the church, he actually made breakfast and ate breakfast with his disciples. In John's gospel, uh, we're told that the resurrected Christ appeared to Thomas, and Thomas wanted, would not believe until he saw the wounds in Jesus' hands and in his side. And in the story, as John tells it, the Lord Jesus, the resurrected Christ, actually says, Thomas, see my wounds. This, this is me. This is the, the, the same Jesus who was crucified and buried is raised. The gospel. That the resurrected, the, the crucified Christ is the resurrected Christ. And so Paul is saying, that if that's not true, then we don't have a gospel. We don't have a gospel. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are actually, he says, misrepresenting God. We're, we're actually spreading a lie. You know, I think there are, there are church leaders who think that it doesn't matter whether Jesus was raised from the dead, truly. That you can hyper-spiritualize it. You can put it in mythological terms. And that's what's really important. That what Jesus came to do was to initiate an, an ethical community. And wrong. Wrong. Jesus did not come to initiate an ethical community. The ethical community flows out of an awareness of the gospel. It's the gospel which transforms lives. When we celebrate the baptism in just a few minutes and these precious little babies and their adoring families are there with them, we're going to talk about the gospel of Jesus. And it's out of his gospel that our community flows. And yes, we have the highest possible view of the ethics of the Christian life. We believe you're, that we're meant to model ourselves on our Savior. We're meant, we're meant to follow in His footsteps and to love as He loved. The highest possible standard. But it flows from who He is and what He has done. Not the other way around. So Paul says if, if Jesus has not been raised, if there is no resurrection, Christ hasn't been raised, verse 13, um, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. I, I, I love the song we just sang, Mighty to Save. I, I love that song. Um, it's a beautiful song. And it, it flows from our faith in a Savior who can move mountains, who is mighty to save, who is the author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. See, that's the gospel. And if he wasn't raised, then we don't have a gospel. In fact, we're, we're just spreading lies if Christ was not truly raised. So, 
being real for a moment, if the resurrection didn't happen, if there was no resurrection, then we have no gospel. We, we, we could have some philosophical discussions along with the Stoics and the Epicureans. We can talk about some interesting philosophical topics until we get bored and go home, which is what sadly has happened in some churches. It's just been reduced to ethical hollering and carrying on and debating endlessly. And that sadly so often passes for church life, just debating philosophy. There is no gospel. So if there is no resurrection, there is no gospel. And brothers and sisters, if there is no gospel, well, Paul tells us. Look what he says in verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, there is no gospel. Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's interesting. Paul's saying that what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross is applied to us and made effective for us in his resurrection. Because in Christ's resurrection, we see God receiving the atoning sacrifice that Christ died to present in our behalf. If Christ just died and there's a grave somewhere lost to history, Jesus of Nazareth, buried here if that's the whole story then at the very least we have no evidence that Christ's sacrifice mattered in fact we have evidence that they lied about it so why believe any of it in fact there is there is no real good news if Christ died and was not raised no if Christ has not been raised, if there is no resurrection, our faith is futile, we are still in our sins. Crucifixion did not have its effect that we preach, that Paul proclaimed and that Metrochrist proclaims. He ties it pastorally up in a very interesting way. He says in verse 18, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Um, that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? It's hard enough to think about me and my living family who I love with all my heart. But to think about those who've gone before, people I love dearly, who put their hope and their trust in this gospel. And the way I can be at peace about that is, is because it's true this gospel they trusted in. I, I don't have to wring my hands about the people I've loved who've died in Christ. Um, I don't have to worry about them. And, and it's meant to be that way. He, he describes it as being asleep. Because in Christ, that's kind of what death at its worst is. It's a, it's a time of, of sleep. It's a rest awaiting the coming of the ultimate fulfillment of Christ's gospel promise. And then finally in verse 19, he, he wraps up his argument at this point by saying, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, if, if the resurrection is not true, if all we have to hope for is right now in our ethical system, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's just pitiable 
to think of a group of people who put their hope in a gospel that is based on a lie, who have no ultimate hope, who just have wishful thinking, who just have an ethical system to discuss and debate ad nauseum, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, this is something coming from a man who's faced death, who is facing death. The, the same man who wrote that sentence is about to die for the gospel. Would you be willing to die for a lie? Would you be willing to die for something you knew was untrue? If, if that Christ had not appeared, if that resurrected Christ had not appeared to Paul, as he says repeatedly that the resurrected Christ did, why on earth, if that didn't happen, if it was a figment of his deluded imagination, why would anybody put their hope in that? Why would they trust in that? They'd be pitiable to do so. But Paul was willing to be a witness to Christ and the resurrection of Christ to the very end. He didn't just endure people yelling at him and picking on him. He actually endured martyrdom. He was willing to die for what he proclaimed. So what if there is no resurrection? Well, then don't worry about coming to church next Sunday. If he wasn't raised, there is no gospel, there is no hope. You'd be much better off spending the day doing something profitable, worthwhile, more fun, more interesting. But it's because the gospel is true and Jesus was raised that we can now have the hope we just sang about, mighty to save. We can trust in him. It, it's, it, it does affect our moral decision-making, absolutely. But it affects our moral decision-making because we can trust Him. We can walk with Him. We can believe in Him. We can put our hope and our confidence in Him. And you and I can face life together in Jesus. And we can sing about it and we can proclaim it. And that's what Paul goes on to do. It's what he wants the church in Corinth to do. That's what he wants you and me really to do, to, to really embrace the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, to really take seriously the, the evidence, the witnesses he's talked about, including his own witness. He wants us to, to, to look on those things, to be reminded of them, and to put our faith in them. And that's what I hope we'll do this Easter. That's what I hope little Knox and Vivian will grow up as they hear mommy and daddy and others talking about the gospel, talking about the mighty Savior who died for us and has been raised for us, and we can live life now in him. Well, please bow your heads with me as we just pray for a moment. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we rejoice that the resurrection of Jesus did happen. It is true. We thank you that the one who died on the cross for us has been raised for us. And now, Father, we have our life in him. The, the same one who forgives our sins and takes away death also, Father, gives us his righteousness and his life. It is truly ours in and through and on account of him. It is really his gift to us. And now, Father, we can live our crazy life with all the things Justin was praying about just a moment, Father. We, we can live our life 
in light of all those challenges and, and many others besides, we can live our life confidently and boldly. We can take the risk to love and to, to care for people who are very different from ourselves. Oh, Father, thank you that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And Father, fill our hearts with confidence in him for his sake. Amen. Amen.